0: It's never too late to quit smoking, and by quitting, you may add 10 years to your life. But quitting is not easy and often takes people 10 tries or more before they can successfully quit. And here today to help us understand the benefits of quitting, including reducing the risk of developing lung cancer, is Sarah McDonald. She's a clinical oncology coordinator and oncology nurse navigator with Montefiore St. Luke's Cornwall. This is Doc Talk presented by Montefiore St. Luke's Cornwall. I'm Scott Webb. So, Sarah, thanks so much for your time today. We're going to talk about quitting smoking, which is difficult for many people to do. We're going to talk about lung cancer and early screening and diagnosis and treatment today. As we get rolling here, though, let's just have a baseline who's at the highest risk for lung cancer?
1: So anyone who has had a history of smoking um, a high exposure, secondhand smoke, or uh, work exposures, such as asbestos and things such as that.
0: Yeah, we're gonna talk about uh, the, the different programs uh, that you are involved with there today, but as we kind of separate things here, let's talk about smoking cessation, why that's so important, and specifically the trial you've got going to help folks.
1: In terms of smoking cessation, Obviously, it's one of the most important factors to reduce any type of lung um, disease that could be a potential risk for you. So it's definitely something that is uh manageable and something that can help you take back your health. So in terms of smoking sensation, we are partnered with the Be Bold Quit Smoking Sensation Program through our Einstein location, and that is a free eight-week session program that we offer virtually currently, and it helps us to offer behavioral modification techniques, different nutrition, dietary, and exercise techniques, and visual techniques that can help you with your sensation journey, as well as offer one-on-one direct support and help with peer support groups as well.
0: Wow, it sounds really comprehensive and uh, eight-week program. Sounds good. You know, as I mentioned there, Quitting smoking is very difficult. And it might be too much to heap on your shoulders here to say, you know, Sarah, why is it so hard to quit smoking? Why is it so hard to quit tobacco? But just in general, why is it so hard, Sarah? And what tips do you have? Just briefly here in a podcast form, what tips do you have for folks? And I think one of the biggest ones, and I'm sure you would echo this, is really that folks have to want to quit, right?
1: Absolutely. And in wanting to quit, there is never a bad time to quit. So some people um, find that dependent on where they are in life or if they have other life factors that are going on like high stress at that time, that it is something that they can't foresee doing. However, again, there's never a bad time to quit smoking. And in terms of smoking sensation, honestly, reaching out and having that conversation with your healthcare provider and knowing what programs are available to you is truly one of the biggest first steps that can happen. Moving forward past that point, again, once you've um, been connected with a group like the Be Bold Quit Smoking program, we can then um, help to navigate any financial or psychosocial or any type of barriers and truly tailor a direct plan that is patient-centered and about what fits your lifestyle to help you make those steps possible.
0: Yeah, that sounds good. And there are those barriers. There are those real barriers, those imagined barriers. And I think you're so right. I think some folks think, oh, well, I've been smoking so long, you know, it's probably too late to quit. And as you stress there, it's never too late to quit smoking. It's never too late to quit tobacco. And good that you're working with folks to help them further those goals, which is great. So I want to shift gears just a little bit here and have you talk about the Early Lung Cancer Action Program and, and what's involved with that program.
1: The program is open to anyone ages 55 to 77, again, who is at risk or a high risk of developing a lung cancer. We look for anyone who has been a smoker currently and or of 20-year history of smoking and patients even who have quit within the past 15 years. All of that meets the criteria for lung screening. It is a low-dose CAT scan screening that is done annually to check the lung status.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned uh, insurance there, and that's always a concern for all of us and whether these things are covered by insurance. So typically if folks are between 55 and 77 and they are in that higher risk group, how does insurance generally view the CT scans?
1: So typically, if you fit the criteria, some insurance will require a prior authorization. Aside from that, our program here, if eligible and meeting the criteria and wanting to pursue screening, our program specifically, there is no out-of-pocket cost associated with it directly for the annual screening.
0: That's good to hear. And, you know, I, I think that Probably true of all cancers, right, Sarah, that early diagnosis is so key, but why is it especially important when it comes to lung cancer?
1: Generally speaking, lung cancer is one of the cancers that we do see diagnosed typically after it's advanced into stages three and four. So in order to be able to keep that at bay and to get patients in, having early detection and early screening is the best way to catch these cancers earlier on and to take action sooner.
0: Yeah, it's so important. Absolutely. And when we think about the types of resources in the olden days, it would be pamphlets and things like that. Today we're doing podcasts, but what are some of the other resources to help folks to better understand the importance of early diagnosis of lung cancer, early treatment of lung cancer, the importance of quitting smoking and tobacco and so on? What else do you have to offer folks?
1: again, with us, we do tailor everything individually to the person's needs. So again, having a navigation team, we are able to go through and do those type of assessments and make sure that we're allocating resources most appropriately, whether it be the medications. Again, we talked to insurance or through the actual uh, eight-step programs. We do have all of those different resources and we have them available in our partnership um, with Einstein in Spanish as well. As far as individual resources in our our program, we provide all the tools and handouts and education materials, which can be shared digitally. Again, right now, everything is still in a virtual platform. Therefore, the sharing of materials is quite easy now with technology and handhelds. Anything outside of that, again, as we address individual barriers, we can help navigate resources for everyone, whether that be online via a phone application or specific uh, guidelines and websites that should be followed. We can provide that to the patient directly.
0: Yeah, you sure can. And as we wrap up here, you mentioned that you used the buzzword there. There's a few buzzwords in medicine that we all patients love to hear, like minimally invasive. We love that. Uh, and now, you know, I don't know if you want to think of it this way, but sort of thanks to the pandemic, virtual visits, telemedicine has become quite popular and insurance is playing ball, which is great. So as we wrap up here in your different programs, the different things you're involved in, how are you doing telemedicine and virtual visits and, and how is that helping patients?
1: Great question. So as we've all kind of moved into this realm of the virtual world that we're in, It does seem to be easier to reach people because of everyone's schedule. And we're all so busy with everything in our private lives that sometimes it makes it difficult to even just make that first step and either enter into a program or have that conversation with your doctor or look for a lung screening. So all of those things, you know, even like I said, whether it be a phone conversation or if we set up a Zoom or a team meetings or anything virtual platform wise, we can offer that to make that contact with the patient and make it that much easier for them. So it's not necessarily needing to come in, needing to take that time and physically be present. I do feel that has truly advanced programs like this and make them more robust and a lot um, more accessible for everyone.
0: Absolutely. Just the accessibility, you know, not having to drive in and park and use the gas and and just there's just so many good reasons. And it's like, why, geez, why didn't we think of this before? You know, virtual visits and telemedicine was sort of inching along before the pandemic, but it's like now we all get it. And it's like, oh, right. I don't need to be there. You could see me sitting in my kitchen or wherever I might be. We don't want people to be driving when they do these visits. But it's so great to hear that you're doing that and everything that you're doing, all the efforts to help people quit smoking, quit tobacco, detect lung cancer early, all good stuff. Thank you so much, Sarah.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much.
0: That was Sarah McDonald, Oncology Nurse Navigator at Montefiore St. Luke's Cornwall. Visit montefiore.slc.org for more information. And if you found this podcast helpful, please share it on your social channels and be sure to check out all the other Doc Talk episodes. This has been Doc Talk, the podcast from Montefiore St. Luke's Cornwall Hospital. I'm Scott Webb. Stay well.